You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz is out, but we're going to be checking in with him live from Vegas in just a little bit as he prepares to absolutely lose his mind as the Raiders get underway against the Ravens in Monday Night Football at that new stadium in Vegas. He didn't get to go last year. He is there now. Um, I can't make any promises about the pitch of his voice or whether he'll even be making sentences, but we're excited for it. Courtney Cronin is in for Fitz tonight here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and you could be a part of the conversation tonight. Be a part of Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed at Sarah Spain, at Spain and Fitz, at Courtney R. Cronin. ESPN Nation's presented by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one Fans deserve. Speaking of college football, you heard about that USC news. We will certainly touch on that later, but we have to start with the first full weekend of NFL action. My team lost. The team Courtney covers lost, but we're still excited. I still enjoyed sitting on my couch for the entirety of yesterday doing nothing but watching football. Courtney, quick reaction to the Vikings, who were one of every team in the NFC North that lost yesterday. Yeah, I mean, the NFC North has somehow morphed into the NFC East overnight, and everybody's (laughs) 0-1 and and on equal footing. Uh, The Vikings going to overtime with the Bengals, I predicted a close game, but I did not predict that Cincinnati would would end up eking that win out because Dalvin Cook fumbles the ball away at the end of of overtime and gives Cincinnati a chance to come back. That's a tough one to come back from, Sarah, however you spin it. What did you like and what didn't you like out of what you saw from Minnesota? Uh, all the penalties. They had 11 <laughs> offensive holding and false starts collectively. I think it was nine at the end of the first half. You know, when you're in second and 20, you're not going to be able to do anything with your playbook. So from the very jump, when they have four penalties on the first drive, they were in trouble. It was it was really, really bad. And I think that everything that they were posturing about during the offseason, the offense is fine. The offensive line is fine. All these unknowns that they classif- classified as unknowns ended up being the biggest problem for them. And it doesn't get any easier when you look at their schedule. They've got Arizona on the road in week two, come home to face a red-hot Seattle team, and then they've got Kevin Stefanski looking for revenge when mm-hmm. the Browns come to town in week four. I'm not trying to go overreacting crazy here, but 0-4 feels very realistic just given what we saw from this Vikings Mm. team on Sunday. Hey, quick hot take from you. There was that free shot that the Bengals got on the field goal when, you know, they they wanted to to freeze him out. There should be some sort of rule on that, right? Or is it just a matter of you have to get the timeout in fast enough that they don't get a look at it? Yeah, and I think it's a good little practice kick situation, right? Like, everybody does this, whether it's in college football or the NFL, trying to ice the kicker, at least for the Vikings. Like, from my angle at first, I didn't think it went in, but there were people who were watching it on TV who said that Greg Joseph would have been good that first. Oh, really? Okay. I thought he he missed it on there. And I thought that's why Zimmer was so mad, because he, he felt like, you know, he got to make do on the second attempt. After missing the first, I thought it went in as well. I mean, I thought it was I thought it was out as well. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. Uh, some quick thoughts on the Bears. Uh, woof uh, is the first one. I have to say, some things didn't look as bad as I expected. The offensive line being one of them, despite losing 
uh, Jason Peters and then losing the guy that's in for Jason Peters and then almost losing the guy that's in for the guy that's in for Jason. Like, right, this was like a series of terrible scenarios for a team that came in with an already questionable offensive line. Um, but they were surprisingly not manhandled by what was expected be a ferocious Aaron Donald and, and defensive front for the Rams that just didn't do all that much. The very end, you got in the stat sheet as as Aaron Donald, but it was not one of his better performances. Um, so I think that looked a little better. And, you know, Andy Dalton was not impressive. I don't think he threw the ball further than 10 yards, but he got the ball out really quick, which is what you needed. He read the defense fast enough. David Montgomery looked fantastic moving the ball. And they were deliberate. Um, because they could be, because the defense was so bad that the Rams were like, we'll just put up seven in 90 seconds on a deep ball that there's nobody anywhere near, um, and and we'll just give you the ball back. Take your time. The defense was brutal. There were injuries coming in and inactives, but that is going to be the, the scariest part is an aging defense that has forever been able to make up for a poorly run, poorly called offense, and now on both sides um, – it's going to be an issue, uh, especially going for things like fourth yeah. and 15, um, you know, committing a penalty, calling a timeout because the clock is running out and then throwing a pick right after the timeout when it looks like you're off to a good start. There are so many things I could say about this. I will at least say I was glad that Justin Fields was in on some plays and that they're going to keep working him in. I was glad that he got that touchdown. He looked strong on that run. Um, and we'll get after it next week. As, uh, as Andy Dalton said, everybody else lost, too. I don't think that's what we're looking for from your starting quarterback when the game's over, but we'll take it, I guess. Uh, yeah, all all of the NFC North teams took an L. Uh, beyond Justin Fields, Courtney, there were several other rookie quarterbacks people had their eyes on. Damian Woody, uh, despite the Jets losing and Zach Wilson not being in a good position, did think the second half was encouraging for the new signal caller for New Jersey. The offensive line for the, for the Jets were bad. They were bad, absolutely. Um, giving up a lot of pressure, obviously the six sacks. But it did seem like a tale of two halves. You know, first half he was, you know, he was off. The whole offense was awful. Then the second half, it seemed like he started to find his rhythm, find his groove. You saw some of the playmaking ability that people talked about during his, you know, collegiate years at BYU. So he was able to extend plays. He was accurate with the football in the second half. And he was able to find his favorite target in uh, Corey Davis for two scores. So, you know, for Jet fans, that's encouraging to see your young quarterback kind of battling back after a rough first half. Uh, I don't know why I called them New Jersey. That is in my brain what I always think of the Jets as being Jersey. Uh, What did you make of what you saw from Zach Wilson? I saw a rookie quarterback in his first game going against a formidable defensive front of the Carolina Panthers and a pretty bad offensive line. So it's going to be a rough year for Zach Wilson. That's what I saw. Yeah, I think that's what we expected, too. We were asked who's going to shine, who's going to impress us of the youngsters, and we thought he's just not in a good enough position to do so, and I think I still feel that way. It's going to be a rough go for the Jets, a slow rebuild, but I do agree that there were some bright spots to take away, and the confidence is there, which I like to see his postgame presser uh, revealed a guy that was not, at least right now, going to be too down about the situation he's in. Speaking of a bad situation, Trevor Lawrence and the Jags. This was the first regular season loss for Trevor Lawrence ever. Not in college, not in high school. I don't know if they went back to middle school, but I know that this was the first. And uh, losing to the Texans in spectacular fashion had him feeling this way. It's it's frustrating just because I did some things that um, I don't normally do and just threw some some bad decisions that I'm disappointed in. But like you said, it's part of the learning process and if you use it to learn, then it's all good and we'll get better. But 
got to get better. I know I'm going to respond well. You know, I'm, I'm made of the right stuff, so I don't have any doubt about that. But it is it's frustrating, and I hate losing. I hate losing. So um, we're going to get better, but that's all you can do is watch the tape, learn from it, get better, move on. And we just got to stick together. That's the main thing. That's, you know, that's kind of in the past. That's over. It is what it is. Um, we got to move on to next week and, and stick together. He's made of the right stuff, Courtney. I actually agree so far. I think he's going to be fine. I'm not super worried. I am deeply concerned about the Jaguars, and I do not know that Urban Meyer is going to make it all year. Yeah, I think the one thing is we've been so spoiled in recent years with first-round quarterbacks and, and how good they look right away with Kyler Murray, Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, and the fact that this guy, Trevor Lawrence, was penned to be better than all of them coming in. He didn't match that hype. So he's also in Jacksonville. It's going to be a tough year for him, like you alluded to, with all of the stuff that we're hearing happening behind the scenes with the head coach and mm-hmm. the fact that he's very demonstrative. And yeah, we'll get to that later for sure. That- that's not going to be uh, that's not going to be easy easy walking for Trevor Lawrence as he yeah, tries to make it through the first couple months of the season. A better situation for Mac Jones, but still not a win. Bill Belichick summed that one up. Yeah, I mean Mac competed hard. I thought we had a lot of guys competing hard, but we just gotta we just gotta perform better as a team. Nailed it as always. We're brought to you by My Computer Career, training for a better life. Coming up, we'll do some good take, hot take on week one. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Week one of the NFL is in the books, which means there are hot takes aplenty floating around. In fact, it was the NFL that inspired the segment Good Take, Hot Take, as we listened to overreactions all over the place from one game for each team. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz tonight. We'll check in with him before Monday Night Football here on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Let's do a little good take, hot take. Time to cut through the BS and rate the best takes of the day. Are they good takes? He would be the best quarterback in the history of New York to land here. Or hot takes. takes. Give the damn ball and let him decide. That's not the Green Bay way. Find out now on Spain and Fitz. That's right, good take, hot take. We listen to some of our fellow bloviating gas bags and decide whether their take is on target or a little premature. Let's start with one of our favorites in this segment. Good old Stephen A. Smith talking about Aaron Rodgers. He was so awful that embarrassing doesn't even begin to describe. And I'm going to say something that I don't say about too many professional athletes. And I'm certainly not accusing as if I know definitively this is true. I'm just talking about, uh, uh, you know, uh, the optics, how it looked. It looked like he didn't care. He looked like he did not give a damn about how he played or how this outcome ended up being. He looked a bit lackadaisical, a bit laid back. It was the most shameful performance of Aaron Rodgers' career. Ooh! That sounds pretty fiery. What are you saying, Courtney? Good take, hot take. I think there's definitely a level of outrageousness in there, but it is a good take. Wow. You know, Aaron Rodgers threw two interceptions yesterday that were nowhere close to being 50-50 balls, just like straight-up bad decisions. And I think 
what Stephen A's getting to is just the the overall like kind of blase nature of Rodgers after the game and the way that he addressed it and talking about, well, we were kind of thrown off because the Saints didn't pressure us. Shouldn't that be to your advantage? <laughs> right, right. Last I checked, I thought that was a good thing. So I don't know. They come into this season with Super Bowl expectations. He's back. It's the last dance, whatever. They're hungrier than ever. But they just looked awful yesterday. Just I'm going to say overall, it's a good take. Because the 35-point margin of defeat was the worst of his career. The 36.8 passer rating was fourth worst. One of the only games that he had a worse passer rating was one where he got knocked out with a concussion and didn't get to finish it and increase his passer rating number. Uh, Also, one of the worst passer rating marks was when they got destroyed by Tampa Bay 38-10 to last year. We all remember that. Uh, So there are a lot of numbers to point to it being one of the worst losses of his career. The one part I would say was a little bit hot was saying he didn't care. I saw a lot of conspiracy theorists on the Internet claiming he's trying to sabotage the Packers for what went down. Listen, people, he has very few years left, and he cares a lot about his legacy and winning, which was what that beef was about from the beginning. So it wouldn't make any sense for him to end up showing up and sabotage a year of his career. That's idiotic. It's just one week, R-E-L-A-X. Didn't look good. But I don't think not trying was part of what was going on there. All right, moving on. Good take, hot take. Bart Scott on the Browns. Where's this great vaunted defense that the Cleveland Browns were supposed to have? They're supposed to have Clowney on one side, a defensive MVP on the other side, Ty Johnson from the Rams before. You talk about uh, uh, Williams, all the great talent that they have there, but they can't perform as an elite unit. They have all the pieces. What's the problem? This defense is not big time, and it should be. It should be the strength of this team because it's just as much talent on that side of the ball than it is on the offensive side of the ball. All right, Bart Scott says the defense is not big time. Ryan Clark, a little more patient. Here's what he said. The Cleveland Browns, I think, come into the game and show you that they are a team that's going to contend. This is a team that took the Kansas City Chiefs to the fourth quarter last year, the divisional playoffs. And I think, you know, there's some belief that has to happen there, though. Every time you watch the Kansas City Chiefs, you feel like the Kansas City Chiefs and the team that they're playing think that the Kansas City Chiefs will eventually win every game. Mm, I think the Browns kind of started to feel that way but um it was a great game uh Patrick Mahomes just made more plays in the end uh than Baker Mayfield but in that case you know Patrick Mahomes makes more plays than a lot of quarterbacks uh but the Browns are going to be a team that's a playoff team and we'll see in contention this year I'm gonna go good take on Ryan hot take on Bart he good yeah Here's why. Defense has a lot of new starters. It's week one. They're going to get more time to gel together. Ronnie Harrison was ejected in the first quarter, so that's a knock on the defense, but they would have been better with he was out there. Delpit was already out. Uh, they didn't have enough pressure, uh, but this is Patrick Mahomes. He is so good at evading pressure. And some of those plays, like that pass to Tyreek Hill, I don't know if anyone would have stopped it. I think you look at them through the lens of playing against a Chiefs offense that's pretty incredible, and they did an okay job, so I'm not ready to give up on them just yet, Courtney. How come nobody's talking about the punter when he had the snap bounce off of his hands? He mm. dropped it. LeBron James it is. Tried to run LeBron James free. is talking about it on Twitter. I'm glad someone's <laughs> holding him accountable because that's a big part of why the Chiefs had the door held open for them to come back. I think what the Browns did in the early part of this game led everybody to believe, okay, this is not the same old Browns team that we see every single year. This is what a team that wants to contend, they get out there and they prove it. But then again... What Ryan was saying, and I know some of that sometimes sounds cliche, oh, like Patrick Mahomes just paid, made a couple more plays. 
That Mahomes to Tyreek Hill touchdown to make the game 29-27 Cleveland, that's er, 29-27 that was cutting the lead. Cleveland was up by two. That's vintage Patrick right. Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, a team that's been here before. So I don't think you can fault him too much for that, but there's more to blame here than the defense for yeah. the Cleveland Browns. Like if they, and- if they want to be legit and for real, Baker Mayfield has to pull out that win. This is also the Chiefs, and I think they can be legit and for real, and they could still lose to the Chiefs, right? That's that's the upper echelon yeah. best team. Um, I think we sometimes look at that that tier as being too small. I think there's a tier, and the, the Chiefs can still be at the top of it. Speaking of the Chiefs, by the way, it's good take, hot take. Spain and Fed, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. Here's Mina on Kansas City. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, two of the best weapons in football. But in this game in particular, you really saw outside of them, they weren't able to get a lot of production from the likes of Nicole Hardman or Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And there might be a game where Kelsey or Hill is out with an injury or defense finds a way to take one of them out of the game. And one of those other skill players is going to have to step up. When you build a team this way, Jay, where it's very top-heavy mm-hmm. and you've got stars, when those stars get hurt or they're not in the game, you see uh, where the death becomes an issue. And I think that could be a problem for Kansas City. Courtney, sounds wild to be talking about Kansas City not having enough weapons when the narrative's always been that are, you know, a, an embarrassment of riches. Good take or hot take from Mina? Good take. Hey, good. I think when you build teams like this, and they are so top-heavy, it affects your depth everywhere mm-hmm. else where, you know, Tyreek Hill could be one injury away from having to, to, to miss a couple games. Travis Kelsey, I know he's been a star in Kansas City, but can you constantly rely on that? I mean, we... The, Similar, but obviously two different teams. They're dealing with that here in Minnesota. It's very obvious what happens to your team when your depth isn't very good and you're putting so much more pressure on your starters and your stars to have to pull out wins every single week. You need some sort of balance there, and it just kind of feels like they're a little bit on the top-heavy side. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think it sounds wild because when their starters are all healthy, it's impossible to figure out who you stop, who you double, all of that. Uh, but when they lose someone or more than one, it does become an issue of needing to spend so much on the very best and not being able to fill out the rest. So good take from Mina Kimes hey, on the Chiefs there who still managed to pull out that win. Maybe we'll do a little more good take, hot take later with some other bloviating gas bags. But our very own gas bag is coming up next. Jason Fitz from Vegas. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Fitz is here joining us on the Goodyear Hotline to talk about his beloved Raiders hosting the Ravens at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas, finally open to fans. And we're going to do it into something we're calling a Monday Night Spotlight. The rest of Monday night is given over to those gargantuan Goliaths of the gridiron. Setting the scene for another Monday Night Football Showdown. That bouncing behemoth ballet known better as... Professional football. Here's the Monday Night Spotlight on Spain and Fitz. That's right. The Monday Night Football Review is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Jason Fitz, set the stage for us. It is technically September, but no autumn wind in Vegas right now. It's not a Raider. It's more of an autumn heat stroke. Yeah, it is ferociously hot here. And it's been interesting, guys, because like, I realistically had no idea what to expect. I got to Vegas yesterday. Frankly, my flight was packed with Raiders fans. The Strip in Vegas has been packed with Raiders fans. Every casino has been packed with Raiders fans. They did a really nice job at the Mandalay Bay and 
the Luxor, where they they basically set up outdoor tailgating areas that had misting fans, and you can walk direct to the stadium from there. They're trying, but uh, the most interesting thing to me all is that I got to the stadium hours before kickoff, and it was already packed because the stadium is domed and air-conditioned, and realistically, everybody wants to see this place. It is insane. You couldn't move in the concourse three hours before kickoff, so it is a madhouse. That's awesome. It sounds like a far bigger upgrade than where they used to play at the Coliseum the last time (laughs) that they played in front of fans. Um, We've been talking so much, Jason, about what's going on with the Ravens, considering the rash of injuries, that I think we're forgetting all of the absences or at least the departures that the Raiders are are dealing with entering the 2021 season. So I want your opinion. Who are they going to miss more between Nelson Aguilar, Gabe Jackson, Rodney Hudson, and Trent Brown. And by the way, three of those, as you know, are offensive linemen. Yeah, I think Rodney Hudson's the number one portion of that. I'll say this. I don't think Nelson Aguilar made Derek Carr last year. I think vice versa, Derek Carr made Nelson Aguilar. So uh, I think Carr is an underrated ability, has an underrated ability to maximize his wide receivers. But Carr does not play well when people get at his feet. He's got a great relationship with Rodney Hudson. So they replace Rodney Hudson, the center, that makes all of the line calls with somebody that's played basically two-thirds of a football game professionally. So uh, James is going to be an interesting question mark at center. The entire interior of the offensive line, which we now know is without Richie Incognito for this game, is going to have issues. So the Raiders could have issues on both lines, frankly. And I- I'll be honest. I mean, the breaking news we got about half an hour ago is that former number four overall pick, Cleve Earl, is a healthy scratch mm-hmm. for this game on the defensive line. So you're talking about a player that was expected to be a huge rotational piece, especially in this game, taking on a team in the Ravens that tried to run the ball creatively. They're now without a player that was drafted fourth overall. I mean, that's a question mark to personnel, but it's also a question mark to what the Raiders think they're going to do in this game. They could get really beat up on both lines. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin in for Fitz, but he's with us here live from Allegiant. You know, we talked about this last week, Fitz. You weren't sure what to expect, and I know the game hasn't started yet, but for those who aren't processing and thinking through the Raiders' experience as deeply as you are, can you explain some of the concerns about what it will be like to be in that stadium? I know you already mentioned there's not really a tailgating scene. People are kind of hanging out in casinos beforehand or heading in early. Is there a concern about, you know, the club vibe, the DJs, the bottle service that you won't have as much of a, of a home field advantage? I think the entire lower bowl, like not the lower bowl, I should say, the entire floor level club is going to be fairly disengaged. I walked around the stadium today and saw, you know, here was the VIP room for Caesars. Here's the VIP club for the win. Here's the VIP entrance for MGM. So all of these floor level are going to be a little bit detached. That being said, I'm stunned by how many Raiders fans I've seen in the building that I saw in Oakland when I would go to games there. So I think the rest of the crowd is going to have some familiarity. But, guys, one thing to keep in mind is that Derek Carr actually said this week in the press, remember, when we have the ball, we need you to be quiet because so far a stadium that was built to be acoustically loud for football, even in the preseason, was making it hard for the Raiders to get the snap off. So I I think, frankly, we got to remember that Vegas has never had an NFL team and uh, barely has a college football team to do with LV. So I'm not sure – what to expect from this crowd, but I think it's going to be complicated early on, particularly as they try and figure out how to navigate this. Ending week one in Las Vegas, and I guess we finally get to put to bed any of the speculation about John Gruden after this point, about whether he stays, whether he goes, how much of the hot seat he's on. We finally get to figure out is that how hot that seat is. What's riding on him this season as far as the pressure from your perspective, considering the contract and kind of where he's at 
in this rebuild that he started a few years ago? Well, the, the biggest thing that they've always used as an excuse is the roster. And it's a little bit uh, disingenuous to assume that the roster was developed by Mike Mayock without John Gruden having involvement at every step of the way. So if, the, if this team doesn't make the playoffs, Mike Mayock's done, and he knows that he's echoed that sentiment a few times. And frankly, Mark Davis has said, has said in public that's a great sentiment, but i got to see him make the playoffs before I really buy what they're saying right now, which I think is staggering honesty from an owner. So the real question becomes, does John Gruden want to be the head coach somewhere where he doesn't always get to pick the personnel? Because I think realistically Gruden, the coach, has done a pretty good job. Gruden, the GM, has been awful. So can they find some way to better maximize the draft to, to get better players in the building? And if they can't, then Gruden's going to have to decide if he wants to coach somewhere where he doesn't get final say on the roster. If the answer to that is no, I think that the seat actually gets a lot hotter. If this Raiders team falls apart and John Gruden, I wouldn't be surprised to see John Gruden take a TV gig and just ride off into the sunset. Uh, since we have invoked his name, I have to let you, according to is John Gruden gone yet? I'm sorry, is Gruden gone yet.com? The answer is no. Uh, six years, 17 weeks, two days, 18 hours, 20 minutes and 56 seconds left on his contract. And he has made $6.83 since I arrived on the website. 36,800, sorry, $36,860,967.67. Since he started with the Raiders. Fitz, what other tidbits do you have for us from Vegas and from Allegiant? You're the first part of the show that's gotten a good look in it. We will be there together in a few weeks when the Bears and Raiders face off. What's the most surprising, interesting, amazing thing about the inside of that domed stadium? They, they have really used every single inch to make it interesting. So all the way to they've got artwork on the walls in different areas that are like really, it's really beautifully done, cartoonish work. This shows the history of Las Vegas. They've built their own wall of fame, essentially, but it's all huge placards on the wall. So as you walk from one step to the next, every single spot, there's a QR code you can look at. It's almost like being in an adult theme park. So they did a really beautiful job with the inside of the stadium. And also, guys, no matter how big the torch looks on TV, it's bigger in person. It is imposing in person to look at it. Plus, I mean, little things that are going to come with the celebrity of being in Vegas. Gladys Knight is singing the national anthem. Ice Cube is going to be uh, the halftime act. I talked to Nick Carter shamelessly today. He said the list of Vegas acts trying to get into this building to either do Mm -hmm. halftime or or the anthem is massive right now. So I think there's going to be a lot of star power in in the city. The question is, can the actual team live up to it? Fitz, switching gears to college really quick, Clay Helton. Uh, was fired after seven seasons at the helm of the USC football program. I want to know, do you feel like that was weird timing? Because it's not like it was a hugely embarrassing loss to Stanford. They still are in your conference. But I don't know. I was a little surprised at when this happened. Were you? Yeah, I, th- I think it's insane. And the first ever college football show that I did at ESPN with Mike Ola Jr., we led with, is Clay Helton safe? And that was five, six years ago, right? Like, so we've been doing this with Clay Helton from day one. So the fact that he's gone now isn't a surprise to me that he's gone this season. But what have you possibly seen through the course of right. a couple of weeks that makes you suddenly think that now's the time? So uh, the only thing I can think is they want to get ahead of early recruiting, which I know matters. But who are you going to get to come over and commit right now? So I think this, is, this puts USC behind in every possible way for the next 18 months. Because of the, ti- the timing of it, it's going to make the program itself, I think, take a step back for the next two years. Yeah, it does feel like if you wanted to make this move, you could have gotten even out ahead of recruiting earlier by doing it in the offseason before you started a whole season with a coach that you're now fired already. 
Uh, Fitz, we're so excited for you. Fitz, Jason Fitz on the Goodyear Hotline with us, usual co-host of this show. But he is, of course, watching his beloved Raiders in Vegas, the first home game with fans at Allegiant Stadium as they take on the Ravens tonight. We'll get into some of the details of that game. But we wanted to check in with him on all the fun stuff. Are you done working after this call? Are you going to start pounding Charles Woodson whiskey, or what's the plan now? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, well, I, I'm, you know, I'm going to make my way up to the press box, so I think I have to be somewhat sober, but, you know, we'll see how that goes. You never know with me. I will give you one nugget. You're going to break down the game later, but one thing I think everybody should really watch for Monday Night Football, and that is the way the Ravens run the ball and the way Lamar Jackson calls things at the line makes it really tough for the secondary to figure out whether they need to step up and stop the run or step back and stop the pass when Lamar rolls out. I'm genuinely interested to see Trayvon Merring, the rookie second-round pick, is going to be asked to do a lot and make a lot of right decisions. I could see the Ravens popping off some big plays and everybody freaking out because, frankly, they got a young secondary in a new system that, that is going to have to communicate better than they have in a decade to get through this game. Fitz, I'm glad you ended with that analysis because otherwise your famous last words would have been, I'm probably going to be sober, you never know with me. And I, I don't think we should have ended on that uh, nefarious note. Thanks for the time. Enjoy your night. <laughs> have a great night. Thanks. That's Jason Fitz with us here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in for him tonight. He's brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle auto, home, or motorcycle insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Coming up, we're going to stick with that Monday night game. An expert's going to talk about how the Ravens are going to address their battered running back situation. It's coming up next, ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. And it's time for some Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. We're going to give it to you on tonight's game. Courtney, Fitz has been cautiously optimistic about a Raiders squad that I don't see being better than any of the teams in their division. There are still so many question marks about the defense. They are getting a slightly more favorable matchup tonight. In fact, um, some are perhaps even flipping their pick based solely on the Ravens' absolutely, completely uh, unlucky running back core. But I think that Lamar Jackson and this Ravens team is still going to be able to figure them out, even with their fifth or sixth running back in camp. Yeah, and I really like Latavius Murray. I mean, he's yeah. a former Raider. I think that he had one of his best seasons, statistically for sure, but just overall body of work last year in New Orleans. And I thought that was a really tough break where he's told he has to take a pay cut after making the 53, he says no, and it felt like it was only a matter of time before the Ravens were going to bring him in to help out with all of the, the rash of injuries that they had with J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards. Uh, they still got to figure out what they're doing at cornerback after Marcus Peters went down. But, no, I mean, it's um, – the way that they're going to rebound and how quickly they have to, like, change and adapt is going to be pretty yeah. eye-opening tonight. But the Raiders, I, like we were talking with Fitz, I, I think the thing that stands out to me the most with, like, tonight – the Cleveland Farrell uh, healthy scratch, that is eye-opening, mm-hmm. Sarah. That one makes no sense to me. And if we're talking about, okay, this Raiders team could be XYZ this year. They have to make the playoffs this year. Moves like that, reflecting on your personnel decisions, are not good ones. Yeah, completely agree with you on that. And I completely agree on Latavius Murray. I, I think they were so incredibly lucky that there was a pay dispute with the Saints that he was available he is a much better option than what you'd imagine they would have to go after after all of these injuries. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz as we get you ready for Raiders, Ravens, Monday Night Football. Lewis Riddick was on uh, the Monday Night Football. I'm sorry, he's the Monday Night Football analyst. He was on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max talking about the Ravens' plan at that decimated position. Yeah, look, they have this young cat named Tyson Williams 
who was on their practice squad last year, all year long, who I'll tell you what Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, said last year, you know, they had a they had an inter squad scrimmage before, you know, during training camp at the stadium. And oh obviously no one's there because, you know, no no one's allowed to come to to watch those those practices or anything like that. But he said he left out of there that night saying, Play Son Williams when he gets his chance. They were so heavy at running back and they wound up putting him on practice squad. He said, When he gets his chance, this guy's gonna shock some people because he's six foot, two hundred twenty five pounds, he's fast, shifty, catches the ball well, smart, will block. That's the guy who other than Lamar, I mean obviously Lamar's gonna get his get his opportunities. I mean, he's gonna have to be big. He knows that and that's a given. Everybody knows that. But this kid, number thirty four, watch him because he's gonna get a ton of opportunity. Courtney, what do you make of that? It does it feel like Lewis has his finger on, on, on the best way that they're going to handle it. It seems like it might be um, a little bit trickier than that. Yeah, you just don't want the Ravens to turn one-dimensional. If you put mm-hmm. all of that on Lamar Jackson in this opener with a defense that you know looks improved from where it was a season ago, I think that that very quickly could get this game out of hand and they won't be able to move the ball. So how do you do that? And how do you balance that rushing attack where you know that your quarterback is there's going to be a lot of design runs for him um, where that offense that looked kind of stale at points during the 2020 season, that that group doesn't pop back up in this opener because these injuries, at least when you think about the pieces that they've had taken away on offense, and this is not even just now i mean last last 10 12 days has been crazy but think about all the injuries they had to their receivers mm-hmm. early on like I, this not just for my fantasy team but like <laughs> mark andrews needs to have a big game tonight i got lamar so i'm, I'm in on i'm in and making it one dimensional if it works out for me <laughs> uh spain uh sarah spain courtney cronin filling in for fits i do agree with you i think there needs to be some patience from harbaugh where if those run plays to that new whether it's murray or or Tyson, if, if 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 those run plays don't go well early, you got to stick with it so that they still have to respect it. Because if you give up on it too early, then you're left with Lamar passing all game. Or again, to your point, one-dimensional Lamar having to carry the run game on his own. Uh, you do know that uh, Dobbins and Edwards accounted for 81% of the run game last year for this team. So a big loss that they now have to contend with. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, on the other hand... Looking at the other side of the ball, young Raiders receivers who need to step up in this first action of 2021. For guys like Brian Edwards and Henry Ruggs, it is time to step up and take this offense to a different level, passing game-wise, coming off of last year. Even with the Marcus Peters injury to the Ravens secondary, you're still going to see a ton of man coverage and playing against two really good cover corners. It is an opportunity you on national television to show you're not just a Darren Waller show when it comes to your passing game. Yeah, so that's going to be something to keep in mind as we're watching the Raiders. And again, to the point I was talking about with Fitz, Courtney, just what does it feel like in that stadium? Because we associate the Raiders so much with their fans and that passion. I have back-to-back tweets on my social media right now. Ross Markazi is at the tailgate. Raiders fans everywhere. You know, they're all they're all excited and packing the place. And then right above it from, from Dave Zirin, uh, a storyline from tonight will be how the Vegas showmanship lacked the passion of Raiders fandom. My friend in the stadium texted me, this place is like a giant computer. So will you, once you pack it with those fans, be able to make it feel like the black hole? Or is it going to feel a little bit too sterile? Yeah, I worry about the corporate feel of Vegas. And I know a corporate party feel sterile. 
the hot tub or where uh, isn't there a hot tub there? Or am I thinking about Jacksonville? One I of think, I know somebody just, has a hot I think tub. Just in the a stadium. club. Just a, a, a club. club with bottle service and such, but I would not be surprised if there was also a hot tub there. Well, let's go ahead and say that there's a hot tub in there. That can't be the focus for fans being at this game because then you get or the camera people, feel. you pervs, yeah, anything. <laughs> um, I want this to feel like Oakland. I know it won't because I, you know, the black hole was incredible to be part of to get to witness that. It's going to take some time, but I just don't want it to have the visiting feel week after week for home games. Yeah. So there is no hot tub, but there are six terraced swimming pools. Okay, uh, same thing. Yes, That's but almost like a hot tub. Worth noting, uh, apparently you cannot actually see the game from Stadium Swim, which is where Ooh. those pools are. So you can go there, hundreds of beds and cabanas, 4,000 people can get there, but you can't watch them live. Uh, maybe you can at the stadium. We're, we're going we're gonna to work through this. We're going to figure out the details. Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No cost compromise Packers next Spain and Fitz the podcast I figured it out there are no swimming pools or hot tubs at Allegiant Stadium I was led astray trying to google while simultaneously hosting the show you got to go to Circa to Stadium Swim to get the six pools and the 4,000 people and the big screens you just get football at the Raiders Stadium and a club and bottle service and a DJ and everything else. It's Bain and Fitz, Sarah Bain, Courtney Croden. I think the hot tub you're thinking of is probably Jacksonville. I'm not positive, but I think that's I think that's where the hot tub and the pools are. It's ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline, including our next guest, Packers reporter for The Athletic, Matt Schneidman. You can follow him at Matt Schneidman on Twitter. Matt, what happened i'm gonna keep it real simple for you what happened well the biggest travesty was that pool that you talked about wasn't even open in jacksonville yesterday because of covid oh man um i don't know i I was stunned with what i watched yesterday from the press box there in jacksonville um this isn't like 2019 when the packers laid a stinker against the 49ers in the middle of the season, and I believe it was 37-9. to This wasn't last year when they laid a stinker against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa um, and lost by a couple touchdowns in Week 6. This was the season opener after a preseason filled with talk about how they were laser-focused, they were ready to contend for a Super Bowl, they knew the magnitude of this season given everything that happened with Aaron Rodgers this offseason, And sitting there, two rows in front of Aaron Rodgers yesterday after the game, listening to him say they were too full of themselves, they were taken aback by the kind of defense Dennis Allen played, which, mind you, was the same kind of defense they destroyed in the playoffs against the Rams this last year and the same kind of defense that uh, their own defense plays pretty much every day in practice. It was stunning, you know. Last week, Matt LaFleur essentially boasted to us that he had 27 different players get votes to be captains. Ten of those guys got double-digit votes. There was nobody, maybe left tackle Elton Jenkins, who had more tackles than Kevin King and Zedarius Smith because he actually made the tackles on both interceptions. Nobody worth following. Nobody who who really led yesterday. Um, I don't know how to explain it. Football-wise or intangible-wise, all I can say and pretty much all the Packers can say is let's just hope it doesn't happen again for their sake on Monday night against the Lions. 
Aaron Rodgers, 15 of 28, 133 yards, two very baffling interceptions. It wasn't like these were contested catches that just went the way of uh, the Saints' defense. They were throwing really bad balls. So I'm wondering, on a shock factor scale, 1 to 10, where were you when they pulled Rodgers and put in Jordan Love? Probably a two. Just I mean, in the moment a two because it was 38 to three. If you had told me before the game that Jordan Love would be in with 10 minutes and 46 seconds left in the season opener, Mm. I would have said, oh, the Packers are up by 30. Right. And if you had told me, no, it's because they were down by 35, I would have said 10. I mean, Aaron Rodgers made mistakes yesterday that are so uncharacteristic of him. His first interception, um, it's kind of what that, two-shell, two-high-safety defense makes you do. They don't let you have any explosive plays. They want you to run the ball and dink and dunk down the field and frustrate you into an eventual mistake. And that's what they did on that two-minute drive right before uh, the end of the first half when they had a second and seven on on the Saints' nine-yard line. Or no, it was the first drive of the second half, second and seven on the Saints' nine-yard line, 17-3, to with a chance to make it a one-score game after they got run out of the building in the first half. And instead of taking a sack on second and seven or throwing it into the flat to a wide-open Aaron Jones or even throwing it away, Aaron Rodgers, as he's being hit, kind of flips one off well behind Devontae Adams and it gets picked off. You you never see him do that. Then the second interception, he said after the game, he tried to lead uh, safety Marcus Williams over to one side of the field with his eyes and then get Marquez Valdez-Scantling on a one-on-one deep down the field. And Marcus Williams read right into it and ran right under the ball, right uh, into the double team. And Aaron Rodgers basically said he didn't see the safety. How many times do you hear Aaron Rodgers admit that, you know, he makes decisions, poor decisions like that? Never. Um, For the Packers' sake, they better just hope that's a fluke. And I'm not going to say it has anything to do with this offseason or he doesn't have it anymore. I mean, he won the MVP last year, but it is concerning. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz tonight on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. We've got Matt Schneidman, Packers reporter for The Athletic, with us here. A lot of conversation about the offensive line, Bakhtiari being out and replacements in there. He was on the run a bit. They didn't get a lot of sacks, but how much do you think that took him out of the game, if at all? A little bit. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, like really any quarterback, gets a little uncomfortable under pressure. We saw in the NFC Championship game last year. Uh, I'm just thinking recently how much not having Bakhtiari hurt. But Elton Jenkins played well yesterday. Their 25-year-old third-year left tackle who has been playing left guard for most of his first two years was a Pro Bowl starter at left guard last year. You know, PFF had him down for only one pressure and I believe 41 pass blocking snaps. He he played well. And and Rodgers and Matt LaFleur both said there was no problem with the offensive line. Rodgers uh, singled out rookie center Josh Myers and rookie right guard Royce Newman for really handling their own against the tough Saints defense. I don't think the offensive line was the problem, um, which makes it even more confusing as to why their offense struggled so much because it wasn't like Rodgers was under constant pressure. The one sack he did take was his fault. You know, the, the, they really didn't get Marcus Davenport to bite on a play-action rollout. Uh, he was intentionally unblocked, but 
Rodgers said, essentially, he implied that that sack was his fault. So I don't think the offensive line was the problem. That was probably the only thing that wasn't a downright disaster yesterday. Okay, so we know Kevin King has had some issues the last couple seasons. We think about the NFC Championship game and, and what that yielded. And then yesterday, like, do they have a decision to make about whether they're going to bench him? I think they do. Now, do I think they're going to bench him? No, not yet. Do I think they should give it serious thought? Yes. I mean, I'll give him this. In 2019, when Kevin King was healthy, he was a really good number two cornerback opposite Jair Alexander. And Kevin King's healthy right now. But as we saw in the NFC title game and as we saw yesterday, maybe it's a little bit of my recency bias showing here, but he is far too immune to giving up a game-changing play. I rewatched the game last night when when I got back to my hotel and he was directly involved in only three plays out of the 55 snaps he played. And those three plays resulted in him being put in a spin cycle by Deontay Harris for an easy 17-yard gain, him getting blocked into another Packers cornerback that allowed a Saints tight end to spring wide open for a touchdown, and then being the culprit on a 55-yard touchdown uh, to make it 37-3 to early in the fourth quarter. So, Whenever Kevin King is involved in a significant play, more often than not, as of late, it's resulted poorly for the Packers. And I don't know how much more you can put him on the field. I understand Eric Stokes is a rookie first-round pick and may not have the ball skills that Kevin King does. But Eric Stokes ran a 4-2-9-40. He's the fastest guy on the team. He can at least catch up to those deep balls. Kevin King cannot. And... I think back to what Devontae Adams told us a couple weeks ago. He said, going against Eric Stokes in practice, his mentality, his skill set reminds me of Jair Alexander more than anything. If you have a a cornerback who reminds you of one of the best cornerbacks in the league on your own team, don't you think you should at least give him a chance to play? You know, the Packers aren't really tied to Kevin King. He's on a one-year prove-it deal. They re-signed him because they didn't know if Eric Stokes was going to be ready to play. Well, I think Eric Stokes is ready to play, and you have to at least consider giving him a shot. It's Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz, Matt Schneidman, Packers reporter for The Athletic with us. Thanks for the time, Matt. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Aaron Rodgers said after the game, just one week, just one game, but he also said it was basically a kick in the no-no places. So certainly not a good time for Packers fans and Aaron Rodgers And definitely enough with the expectation that he is tanking on purpose to somehow get back at the team. Please. I know I shouldn't even give credence to that, but I heard enough of it on social media that I had to address it. Speaking of things that made me pull my hair out, there were a couple more over the weekend. Could have been worse is next. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain. Jason Fitz is out at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas for Monday night football between the Ravens and the Raiders. That is just about to get underway. Courtney Cronin filling in for him here on Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and progressive.com. Now, when we invented the next segment, I was coming off a pretty bad weekend. Not so this weekend. I went to a great concert. I threw an incredible party where we redid all the holidays that 2020 stole from us because of COVID in one day. 
costume changes for each spot, change spots for each holiday. It was a blast. But there are people that had a bad weekend. And for those of you out there who are struggling on this Monday, listen, could have been worse. You thought you had a bad weekend. Phil, there is a tiger in the bathroom. You ain't seen nothing yet. I better get out of here while the getting good. It could have been worse on Spain and Fitz. That's right. This is one of those where we make fun of other people for their shortcomings and unlucky events so that you feel better about whatever happened to you. And we're just going to start right off the bat with Clay Helton. I know we mentioned it earlier, Courtney, but the head football coach for the USC Trojans out. They are seeking a, quote, change in leadership. Usually something that you'd like to do in the offseason, near the end of a season. But no, two days after the Trojans were embarrassed to Stanford, he is out. That's a pretty rough weekend, Courtney. I just don't understand why they didn't do this sooner. Like, the knee-jerk reaction now, two games into the regular season, after a 42-28 loss to Stanford, it just does the timing of it right now doesn't make sense. This is something that, as Fitz told us, they've been talking about for five years. How long is he going to last? Well, time's up, apparently, for, for Clay Helton at USC, and it just feels like maybe we saw this coming five years ago. Speaking of time being up, people already have Urban Meyer leaving the Jaguars to take that job at USC. His, one of the names being floated, the meme game was strong after that Jags loss. As we saw people having Urban faking heart attacks and everything else, Courtney, that was ugly. Yeah, some of the other names, too. I mean, maybe maybe there's going to be this mass exodus of college coaches turned NFL coaches going back to college. Matt Rule's name is apparently being linked to that opening. The one that I really like, though, Sarah, and I want to get this started, Lane Kiffin going back to USC from oh this. Let's make oh it happen. All I know is that there's already reporting from Jason Locke and Ford that the situation with the Jags is so bad that there is a you know, minor revolt Coming coming his way for the way he's been handling the rest of his staff, NFL personnel, everything. And that is one game in. One game in apparently his inability to deal, even with preseason losses, has been jarring for everyone around him. So definitely keep a close eye on Urban Meyer. Had a bad weekend and getting worse with this Clay Helton news as his name is rumored to already be skipping out on the NFL back to college. We're doing a little could have been worse here on Spain and Fitz. Courtney Cronin filling in. For Fitz tonight. Let's talk about the Washington football team. Courtney, they're spending so much money hiring companies to help them decide which name is going to be a best fit that they couldn't afford to stop a leak that was originally believed to be sewage pouring down on fans in the stadium mid-game. Now, they are claiming it was a uh, retaining tub full of rainwater. People said, hey, it hasn't rained in like five days. But if it was left over... There weren't enough people scurrying for me to believe that it was sewage. It would have smelled so bad. I think they would have run a little faster. There was a lot of people hanging around just taking video of it. But like the Washington football team needs any more bad PR, Courtney. Yeah, and I mean, that stadium itself is one of my least favorite in the NFL. So I can absolutely believe that this would right. happen there. I mean, that's no not very surprised. like cir- <laughs> circa the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. Like we were talking about the Raiders so much yeah. the last uh last couple hours. I mean, that's uh 
That's what I think of when I think of sewage leaking inside of a stadium. <laughs> Not in Washington, but very plausible. I would say the only thing worse than having potential sewage leak onto you while you're trying to enjoy an NFL team of NFL game of your favorite team is if you were dangling from a football stadium's uh, upper upper deck, and that was what happened to a cat at the Miami football stadium. We're not sure why he was there. We're not sure how he got there. But for about a minute, the entire crowd was watching a cat dangling from both paws and then just one paw about 30 feet above the the lower deck. And thousands were watching. And then it looked like he might be able to hang on. He dropped and somebody caught him. A fan had an American flag and used it as a net. A student grabbed it held the cat up like Simba in The Lion King. And from what I've heard, the cat is okay. Uh, Yeah. So, I mean, I guess it could have been worse, but still pretty bad if if that's how your weekend went. Yeah, if you're that cat, you're probably scarred for life after hearing all that noise. I mean, last I checked, cats don't really like to be startled. Uh, (laughs) And that was the most dramatic video I have seen on Twitter in 2021, hands down, watching people like just scream in awe and shock when one, two paws become one becomes one paw, and then he drops and the Simba thing. Like no wonder the cat attacked the person afterwards, being held up like Simba. It was completely shook. What yeah, did you I, expect? I would like to take a moment to shout out Craig Cromer, the University of Miami facilities manager, who says he brings a flag to every game. He tore it off the zip tie, stretched it out, and waited for the cat to fall. You are a hero, sir, because I skipped that video four times before someone put in big, bold letters that the cat lived, and then I watched it. Uh, but if not for you, I wouldn't have been able to. It's Spain and Fitz, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz. We're doing a little could have been worse. People who definitely had a worse weekend than you did. Guess what? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Raheem Mostert, Jerry Judy, Makai Becton, Verrett with the torn ACL. Any of those dudes definitely had it worse. And Chris Mortensen says, Cam Newton also not a good weekend because he's probably not getting a call from the Washington football team after that Fitzpatrick injury. It's going to be a natural response from people wondering, is Cam Newton going to be there since he went to the Super Bowl with Ron Rivera? Mm -hmm. They've passed... At least twice on signing Cam Newton. Yes, they have. And I would not expect it to happen this time around. Yeah, Courtney, it's just the fans who seem to think that that's going to be the call. All the experts seem to know that that was not a relationship that they're going to rekindle. The final could have been worse happened when this game call happened. Here's the snap. Throwing the deep bomb down the far sideline. Caught ball. At the 10-yard line to the 5-yard line. Are you serious? Jacksonville State with no yep. time left. Yep. I just the said keep cuts. everything in front of you. The I game Yeah, they didn't keep everything in front of them. FSU loses, and yet one of the players still proposes to his girlfriend on the field while the other team is still celebrating. Courtney, that guy's new, now fiancé, that was the worst. You know what they say, when you know, you know. And uh, apparently he could, just could not wait 
for any other you, moment after getting embarrassed by an FCS team. That, yeah, you know he packed that ring being like, this is a W for sure. This is going to be a good time for this. Coming up, Overreaction Monday with an insider. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, news from Spain and Fitz Nation. As uh, people were reacting to our question about who had the worst weekend, you were right to say that if it had been sewage, it would have been the worst. But at Go Q's Go, who hit us up on Spain and Fitz Nation on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed, said fans sprayed with sewage in D.C. was the worst. We didn't put it on the poll because it turned out it was rainwater. But you can vote at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Courtney R. Cronin for who had the worst weekend so far, leading the way Clay Helton who is uh, no longer employed at USC. Speaking of reacting to the weekend, our ESPN NFL insider Dan Graziano always does a great column, overreactions or not, as people react to the week one football games. And he joins us now on the Goodyear Hotline to talk about it. Dan Graziano, I want to start with Kyler Murray, MVP. 21 of 32 passing, 289 yards, four touchdowns, ran in for a score Looked magical. Is it an overreaction to think that he could get MVP honors? No. Why why would it be if a guy can score five touchdowns at the quarterback position and a win? No, absolutely not. I mean, look, everything's an overreaction to some extent after week one, right? But um, this, I mean, he, he has shown this, right? He has performed at a high level. I think until he got hurt last year, He was probably on the fringes of the conversation at the very least while Arizona was in strong playoff contention for much of the year. So, yeah, I don't think it's at all out of the question that he is a factor in that race if, 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 if the Cardinals continue to play well and if he continues to be one of the central reasons for it. I mean, a lot of of MVP kind of performances yesterday, but his was right there with any of them. Yeah, maybe Chandler Jones should be in the mix after they had yeah. no way to wow. counterbalance those yeah. five sacks and all those quarterback pressures. Just absolutely insane. Um, Jalen Hurts, big question mark going into the season for Philadelphia. He finishes 27-35, 264 yards, a trio of touchdowns. With Washington and Dallas losing in week one, is it too early to say that Hurts and the Eagles could run the rest of the NFC East? We just don't even talk about the Giants anymore, huh? Like, that's just so sad. Like, <laughs> like the Giants were so – They used to be like line. a flagship And a quarterback who won't turn just, it over. They're not, even, they're not even worth bringing up in this conversation. No, I mean, the NFC East hasn't had a repeat champion since 2004. It's always a jumble. It's always impossible to uh, predict it. And certainly, I mean, it's it's – no stretch at all to say the Eagles looked the best of any of the of the four teams in week one. Uh, I think, I mean, you know, I, I, th- I think I still might take Dallas because I just sort of trust their offense a little bit more. But Jalen Hurts is, is in this zone of like, yeah, underestimate me if you want, but, you know, I always prove people wrong and I'll do it again. And, you know, good, good check mark in his column there yesterday. And if he can continue to do that, uh, remember, he's on a mission – to prove to the Eagles that they don't need to trade for Deshaun Watson next offseason. And, um, you know, if he can continue to play like that, then they, they won't need to look outside for a, for a long-term solution. 
Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin filling in for Fitz as he hangs out with the Ravens and Raiders on Monday Night Football, which is going on right now. We like to do good take, hot take. Dan Graziano likes to do overreactions that ESPN NFL insiders with us here now. Let's take another one from your story, which people can find on ESPN.com. Sam Darnold. Wow. Uh, Fitz seems to think he's going to be great this year. I'm... uh, I'm a, I'm a not sure yet, but would you ever go as far as to say they actually should have kept him with the Jets? Yeah, I mean, I think at halftime yesterday, you could have made that case because Zach Wilson had a rough first half, but he had a good second half. Uh, it wasn't good enough to win in the game. And, you know, Darnold played well. I mean, he, it wasn't a, you know, Kyler Murray, Jalen Hurts level performance, but he played well. Look, I mean, the the – the fundamentals of the Darnold decision had a lot to do with finances, right? Like restarting the contract clock on the quarterback position. Right? If you're not sold on Darnold, you've now taken it back three years in terms of finances. And, um, you know, before you have to start thinking about paying a guy. So there, there's that to factor in. And, and Zach Wilson has shown, I think in the preseason, he's got the talent to do it. So it's certainly possible that both of these teams end up happy with the decision the Jets made uh, to go to, to move Darnold and draft Zach Wilson. But, you know, I think in th- at this point you have to look at the group that Darnold has around him and, and say that it's a better group than what the Jets have around Zach Wilson. And obviously he's got a level of experience that Zach doesn't have yet. So I would say it's an overreaction, yes, to say that uh, the Jets should have kept Darnold just based on the fact that he beat them yesterday. Unfortunate scheduling for those who, uh, who would want to insist that it was an overreaction. Jameis Winston played absolutely out of his mind. Five touchdowns on less than 150 passing yards is unreasonably good quarterback play, which leads me to want to ask, like, is this the real Jameis? Like, are we overreacting if we're saying, okay, this is the guy that has been there all along. He's just now in the right system. So it's, to me, the question is, like, do you believe in Sean Payton's ability to transform a guy from what he has always been to something different uh, and, and more, I guess, reliable, more consistent. Right. And there's no way to judge, obviously, consistency off of one game. Like, we, this mm-hmm. could still be a situation where things start to go wrong for Jameis and the Saints and he reverts to old tendencies and, and throws. And Jameis is also going to be a guy, by the way, he could, he could go on to have 10 great years of, like, you know, throwing five or six interceptions a year. And still, every time he throws one, there's going to be somebody that goes, ah, there goes Jameis again. So he's always going to have to fight that. Um, So we'll see. But again, early returns, fantastic. And the fact that he has bought in, you know, I I think don't underestimate how important it was for him to be there last year and not play, to just learn. Like you're all you're going to do is learn. You're going to learn from Debris. You're going to learn from Sean Payton. We're going to teach you the system. You're going to practice and practice it and practice it and practice it and then you're going to be so much better prepared if you know a year from now Drew Brees is retired and we need you to be the guy and and that has happened so we'll see how it plays out of course but yeah I I think if you want to believe that Sean Payton can pull something like this off I don't think that's I don't think that's a crazy thing to believe he's obviously uh one of the best there is 
I completely agree with you on that, Dan. I think a lot of people are misreading my comments on Jameis. I think it's crazy for people to just assume that what goes on between the ears can immediately be fixed and then see a game like that and think it's proof. We've always known he can make the plays. We've always known he has the physical abilities. Oh, yeah. Over the length of time is when you need to see whether the decision-making has changed, whether the LASIK is really the key. In my opinion, yeah. if his eyesight was bad enough to really be the cause of those interceptions, it would have been addressed before. It wouldn't be just, wow, he got LASIK and... He didn't know he wasn't able to see before that. It all feels a little bit too quick for people to anoint him. I'm hearing top 10 quarterback in the league, which everybody needs to slow their roll. Keep in mind, I think there was a stat that Aaron Rodgers could throw 100 straight interceptions before Jameis threw another one and still have a better touchdown to interception ratio. Like some absurd, like he's got, he's got a little more time to prove that that narrative is completely false. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Courtney Cronin. We're talking to Dan Graziano, ESPN NFL insider. You could follow him at Dan Graziano ESPN. The last one on the list for your overreactions column that people can find on ESPN.com. The Browns aren't really AFC contenders. I want to put two teams in together for this. I want to ask you both about the Browns and the Bills. What are the overreactions you're hearing about both of those teams? And are they overreactions yeah. or are they accurate after week one? I think overreaction. Look, I mean, remember, like statistically, mathematically, week one means less this year than it ever has before. Right? It's one seventeenth of the picture instead of one sixteenth. So, so I think that's important for everyone to remember. I think the Bills and the Browns are both very good teams, very good rosters with a lot of depth and a lot of uh, high-level talent that will be there in the end when we talk about the AFC. Um, Buffalo got smacked around by a Steelers defense that I think, you know, maybe some people underestimated how good they still are on that side of the ball. I also think Buffalo is probably going to have to at least pretend to run the ball every once in a while, or else teams are going to catch up with all the great stuff they did last year. So we'll see how they further evolve this offense. And Brian Dayball, obviously a smart guy that's going to be able to figure out what he needs to do to avoid, you know, the, the defensive coordinators catching up with him. In terms of Cleveland, that's just a hard – I mean, they had that game in their pocket, right? I mean, you have the ability to beat Kansas City and then you mm. give it away with three turnovers in the second half. That's going to be hard to live with. And so and they already thought they should have beat Kansas City in the playoffs last year. They're still stinging from that. So I think the Browns will, will be a great team. I think they'll be there in the end. I just think right now they're like in this support group with the Ravens where like, <laughs> it's like, hey, we're great, but we can't beat Mahomes. Uh, yeah, come hang out with us. We'll talk about it, but we, we don't have any necessarily have any solutions. So maybe one of them will get there at some point, but right now they're not. I think both those teams are going to be okay. I definitely think – uh, patience for Bills and Browns fans is what's necessary right now. Awesome stuff, Dan. We really appreciate the time. Hey, can I ask one question? I, I want to know, like, does Fitz like, have the night off because the Raiders are, are, are playing or because he would be no use to you because the Raiders are playing? Like, yeah, I think it's both. Like, yeah, you I think it's both. He is yeah. at... He is at the stadium in Vegas, and we are um, we are a benevolent oh, no show. So if you have the opportunity to be at the first home game with fans in your hometown, your beloved team... Uh, we're going to let you go ahead and, and do that. So Fitz is off doing that. Right. And again, would be completely useless and not at all able to concentrate if he were here. So it works out for both of us. Well, hopefully for his sake, he wasn't watching that last series. Um, <laughs> thanks. He'll find both a way to spin it. Thanks, Talk Dan. Appreciate soon. it. Go check out his story on the overreactions or not overreactions from week one in the NFL. He's brought to you by Goodyear, making the plays that move you forward. Goodyear, more driven. Final thoughts on a whole slew of games yesterday. 
coming up next on Spain and Fitz. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Fitz is out in Vegas as the Raiders host the Ravens in Monday Night Football. First home game with fans out at Allegiant Stadium. It is currently scoreless with about two to play in the first quarter. A uh, little bit of news coming up on Spain and Fitz Nation uh, at by A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports with a little nugget, Courtney, that I wanted to ask you about quickly. He wrote this on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed that with the Broncos possibly being sold next year, there are rumors around Jeff Bezos and Jay-Z as being two of the possible suitors. Any reaction to those two names being floated about? That would be interesting. I think it's only a matter of time before Jeff Bezos buys an NFL team. I feel like he's been rumored for a couple years now to be the next billionaire owner to have a team. Jay-Z in that mix, too, though, makes sense because of the Nets. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to see that. Would, gosh, what talk about a power couple marriage in the NFL ownership world. I'd, I'd like to see it. Be a lot of fun, couldn't that's be, it, for sure. It couldn't be any less chaotic than what's going on with the <laughs> Bolin family right now. So Right. Uh, we have been talking all night pretty much about week one in the NFL, all the games we saw yesterday, and one we haven't gotten that much into is the Titans. That was one of my picks for the week. I thought it was a pretty solid and easy uh, game to call, and man, was it ugly. I, definitely the Cardinals' offense was even more explosive than I expected, and I was expecting great things, and I just didn't think they could be a complete enough team, especially defensively, to stop that offensive powerhouse of the Titans. But man, Derrick Henry didn't do anything. 38-13 to 13, the Tennessee Titans start the season. What did you make of that game? I mean, the fact that there was one team in the AFC South uh, that won yesterday, that was the Houston Texans, makes me think I need to slow <laughs> As we my all predicted. On, exactly, <laughs> on, on where I think teams are going to finish out in this division. But what an absolute drudging of the Tennessee Titans, a team that you know is an early Super Bowl contending favorite uh, out of the AFC. And I just, I was baffled by how bad that they looked. And, and, the, and the fact is, they had no answer for Chandler Jones. They didn't give Taylor mm. Juan any mm-hmm. help. Like, they would put a tight end over there. Sometimes you'd think he'd be there to chip. Well, he's not chipping uh, the defensive end who just earned himself a very, very big payday. The one that he said he wanted all off season long, five sacks yesterday. That was unbelievable. So, I, I was surprised by it. They just looked awful out of any game yesterday that I had the most intrigue for and coming out of it the most like wow even more so than the Packers losing 38 to 3 to the New Orleans Saints it had to be this game just given where the Titans were last year and how Derrick Henry was utterly effective list yesterday mm-hmm. 17 carries 58 yards um they just couldn't do anything and it wasn't like they were like flagged with a ton of penalties or anything like that they just were like outclassed and outcoached I can tell the game affected you because you said effective list instead of ineffective and drudging instead of drubbing. I feel like they've shaken you to your core, Courtney Croden. I, I, it's also, it, I also it was a drudging effort by them in the drubbing, but I think that that's what you're going for there, and I, I do not disagree at all. It was ugly, ugly, ugly. And, yeah, I don't know how you make Derrick Henry end up with 58 yards on 17 carries, but somehow they did it, and that's going to be a team that really wants to bounce back 
next week and not let that taste linger in their mouths and the mouths of their fans. Uh, that, that was brutal. We did talk about the Bills briefly with Dan Graziano last segment, but let's touch on that as well because Ryan Clark, ESPN NFL analyst, was on KJM this morning talking about just what went wrong for this team that has a lot of expectations to go all the way. So the thing that was alarming to me was that I felt like Dayball, uh, Coach Dayball, their offense coordinator, didn't come in this game with a plan to help his offense. And then when they couldn't move the ball or things weren't going well in the second half, I don't think they made good adjustments. Now, am I panicking on the Buffalo Bills? Hell no. They're very talented defensively. They got a guy who's not only a dark, ho- a dark horse for the MVP, but a guy who's probably going to end up being top five. But yesterday was not their finest day. Yeah, it was uh, It was not their finest day is an is understatement, Courtney. What did you see from the Bills yesterday in terms of, okay, that explains what went wrong and here's how they fix it, if anything? Six holding calls, right. a lot of pressures. Uh, that never helps you up front on the offensive line. Josh Allen didn't look comfortable like he typically does, at least like the coordinated Josh Allen that we saw last year, thinking that that was going to carry over. I think everything started up front for them. The problem with them being able to sustain their blocks, pass protection, it just made for a really rough day because they're like, um, you know, offensive. The reason they're such an offensive juggernaut is because they can use these four receiver, five receiver formations. And if your if your pass protection is terrible, you're not able to get the ball out on time. Not those are rendered in those are rendered effectiveless. So um, yeah, I uh, I think it all started out with their offensive line, just how poorly they played and led to everything else in the snowball effect. Yeah, and I'm not sure about the Steelers still. I don't think that this is a big pat on the back to those who have them going far. I think they looked okay. They obviously have a good defense. T.J. Watt obviously making good on that paycheck right off the bat. But I think over the course of the season, it's really going to hurt them that they can't put the deep ball into play. And teams do not have to respect that out of Ben Roethlisberger anymore um, when you don't have a team – uh, flustered and making mistakes and killing themselves like the Bills, I think it's going to be a lot harder for the Steelers to get those big wins. No, I agree. And I think that they had a, they have a good defense. We knew that coming in, and the quarterback stuff and, and where Ben Roethlisberger is at at this point of his career, the offense, some of those question marks, um, those were the big ones. I still think they have a very good defense, which is going to carry them this season. I'm not ready to give up on them yet, but I'm also not ready to go all in on them yet. I don't know what they are. Like That's right. my problem. I don't mm-hmm. know what a lot of teams in the AFC North are yet, and, and they're at the top of my list. Finally, we talked about Jameis Winston with Dan. Quickly, here's Dan Orlovsky, which I think is the best takeaway from that game. Watching the game live, I was like, nah, he's okay. Yeah, I remember texting you guys, right? Like, I'm, I don't know what the big deal is. And then I rewatched the tape. Jameis was absolutely fantastic. But for me, it wasn't the touchdown passes. It was some of his other decisions. There's a second and five. No one's open. Great. Tuck the ball and go run. Something that we haven't seen be a part of Jameis Winston's game in the past. Third and eight. He's going to get pressure off his left side. I've seen him force this ball downfield before. Instead, he tucks it and run. We're going to get a little play action fake. One, two, three. That's just his fourth progression in this read. That's what I loved about yesterday. Yeah, that's what I wanted people to point out. Not look at these incredible touchdowns. We know we could do that, Courtney. It's Is he making good decisions? And yesterday he did. So that's the first best sign for Saints fans and anybody who is wanting Jameis Winston to succeed that he could pull it off. For me, I need that week two, week three, week four. I need that sustained. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. 
You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.